Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whittaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. My guest on today's podcast is Pedro Inchenko, who, along with his best friend and business partner, Johnny Orthona, started the Inner Salon in London's Covent Garden, as well as the offshoot education brand, Alilon Education. Now, I think it's fair to say that in today's workplace, there's a lot of talk about what exactly is a modern salon culture? And as a salon owner, how do you find the balance between offering more flexibility to the team while at the same time managing a business that accommodates a client's needs and still run a profitable salon business? I often talk about the theory of that, but there's nothing better talking to someone who is actually doing it. And that's why I'm speaking with Pedro in today's episode. In today's podcast, we will discuss what it takes to create a modern salon culture, the importance of remaining curious, and the need for flexibility in a modern salon environment, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Pedro. Thank you, Anthony. It's great to be here. Mate, it's really good to have you here. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a long time. We've known each other for a while. And I know that you've got so much wisdom and so much experience to uh, share with our audience that they're going to get a lot of value out of. So, uh, Pedro, I, I know that uh, you're well-known in the UK and you travel a lot to different parts of the world as an educator, but inevitably there'll be lots of people that don't know who you are or what your business is. So can we just start off with a sort of a two-minute uh, overview? Just give us your sort of two-minute backstory of, uh, of who you are and, uh, and what your business is all about. Yeah, no problem. Um, uh, currently, uh, I have two businesses. Um, I'm a co-owner, so I have a business partner who's called Johnny Othona. Um, both businesses are almost like both sides of the hairdressing coin. So one is very consumer focused, which is Enna, which is the salon. And then we have the trade focused side of the, uh, the business, which is Alalon, which is focused on education, the hairdresser. Uh, businesses started in 2009. Uh, we currently have uh, 35 people working at Enna and six full-time educators working for Alalon. Okay. Fantastic. All right. I didn't realize it was 2009. That's gone quick, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. 13 years. I, I still think of you as a, as a young business owner. Um, and so I, I wanted to advise. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask you a question about that in the in the context of being a young business owner, if you can look back over the years and ask you, what um, do you wish you'd known before you'd opened a business? Great question. Uh, I also, I often pose this question to a lot of people that I come in contact with for like pieces of uh, like gifts that they can give you, you know, like, and things that they could um, go back and whisper in your ear and give you some advice. What would I whisper to myself? 
I would probably say be patient, you know, like know it's, it's a long road and there's going to be things that you're going to get wrong and you're just going to learn from them and adapt from them. And overall, you'll probably, you know, have a lot more confidence in your decision making. Cause I always think of it like, you know, when you start hair, you're in your apprenticeship and when you start your first business, you're in it again, you're just starting from zero. You're in your apprenticeship again. So just be patient and kind to yourself. I'd probably say would be the best thing. Yeah. Good advice. What, what, um, from a business point of view, we're going to talk a lot, um, during this podcast about the, the sort of culture, um, of your salon. But before we get into that, if you had to sort of sum up, you know, in a sentence or so, what your sort of overarching philosophy of what a salon should be all about, what, how would you answer that? Like when you um, and Johnny decided to open Enna, what, what was it that you wanted to be different about it? Because it is different. You, you have got something quite unique and special there. Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning, you're always looking for like that, that USP, aren't you? You're always thinking about, is it the aesthetics? Is it, you know, the way that the clients feel when they come in? What is, what is the vibe? Um, but I think the, I think the, the more experience I have in it, it's just, it's just about people. You know, we're all about, um, you know, like investing in the team and ensuring that they've got all of the opportunity to, um, to be the best version of themselves. And that's not just hair, you know, that's all aspects of life. And I think, um, yeah, I think what, what clients feel when they come in is a team of people that generally feel loved and cared for. Yeah. And I think that's probably the thing that I'm most proud of. Yeah, it it's sort of I know your business um, on the inside and see a lot of the stuff that you do. And I know what you've just said is the sort of thing that other people might say. But all I would say to them is that I think you've taken it to another level. Um and as we get into this podcast and talk more about the things that you have in place, I think that, that will become um apparent. Uh let me ask you, you know, here we are at the start of twenty twenty three. Um, a lot of businesses have had a lot of challenges over the last sort of two or three years. Um, what, what changes have you made to how you do business, um, you know, in 2023 based on what we've been through the last couple of years? Um, great question. I mean, for, for our experiences, Anthony, there was always this thing, I don't know if you remember it, you know, like obviously working for a big, big company, you, everyone was employed. But within our industry, there's a, there's a big uh, divide between employment and self-employment, rent chairs, booth rentals, all of these kind of different ideas of how the structures of a salon can work. Um, what I felt coming out of, you know, difficult times was I've always had, uh, an employment structure that Anna, you know, everyone's employed. However, um, what the last few years have taught me is to, that it's just a method of payment. You know, it's just the structure that really is, is not really important. It's more about giving people freedom, whether they're employed or self-employed. And that sounds a bit crazy if they're employed, 
you know, the, the, the rigid structure of society says, okay, well, you work five days a week and you, we set you your shifts. And, you know, if, if we need you to work weekends, you work weekends. And I think the biggest shift for me was coming out of it is that generationally, I think people need more to be more fluid in everything that they're doing. You know, like the rigid structures of business have to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people, again, they want the security of employment. You know, they want their holidays paid. They want, you know, the security, if anything happens to them, illness, you know, that they're looked after. So I think the biggest shift in my mind was to actually create a system that actually does both. So it gives people security and mm-hmm. gives people freedom, you know? So one of the things that I did when I got back, uh, from, the, from lockdown was to just, I think I wrote five questions to, and I sent them in individually out to each team member. The questions were like, you know, do you want to work weekends? You know, like, what would you change if you could change something about your job? You know, like, how do you feel about the hours that you work in the day? Mm. You know, how many days a week would you like to work? And these are all questions going out to employed team members. So it was a real shift in my mind. And I think it was coming from me being sensitive, what they needed from me as a leader. And how did they respond to that? What, what, what changes did they want? Um, I mean, first of all, they were like, you know, the reason why I do what I do is because I love feeling, you know, the reward of people feeling grateful, you know, you know, when you give and someone, you, you feel that gratitude back. It's amazing. And I think their first instinct was like, wow, you're, you're telling me that I can do a three day week and I've always done a five day week. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, what's the catch? Mm. Like, There's no catch, you know, yeah. just talk to me, tell me what you want, you know? And I'm fortunate. It may not be possible for all businesses to do this because obviously the, the size of the business enables me to almost like look at it like a puzzle. So if you're working with a small team, there's huge implications to the business for, for business owners that do that. But when you've got 35 people that you can almost put like a jigsaw puzzle in place, like, you know, um, Evie doesn't want to work weekends anymore. Um, but Jake really likes working weekends. Um, you know, Evie doesn't want to do early shifts anymore, but Jake really likes doing early shifts, you know, and you can, look at it all together and get all of the information. It's like you're, 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 put, you're asking for the data. Mm. Give me the data and then let me create a system which can, you know, give everyone. And I said to them, I said, I'm not going to guarantee everyone's going to get what they want, but I'm going to do my best to get achieve it. And if I can't do it now, I'm going to ensure that it's in my mind for the future. You know, and it, it just worked. You know, some people have gone from five days to two days. Some people have stayed with five days. Some people don't work weekends anymore because they never liked it. You know, so it's about, for me, it was, um, you know, what it, what was born out of that rigid structure prior to COVID, you know, like what, what, what COVID created for us was an opportunity to be more loose and more free with the way that I think about business. Yeah, that's interesting. So talk about the trade-off between shorter hours and therefore earning less money. Was yeah. that, was that, was that cool? Were, were people 
just prepared to, well, look, I only, I only want to work a two-day week and I accept the fact that therefore I'll earn less money? Or were they sort of thinking, I only want to work a two or three-day week, but I still expect to earn the same amount of money because that's often the, you know, where the sticking point is, isn't it? Well, I think what it is is that a lot of them aren't doing nothing in their in their uh, idle you know, the time that they allocate for themselves. They're they're looking at it as an opportunity. So I've got a guy called Sam who's you know always had a passion for photography. Yeah. Now he's producing like this is one of his pieces in the background. I know not everyone can see that. One day it may get viewed live, but. Basically, Sam is a photographer and he goes around taking photos of hairdryers, you know, in toilets, in random places all over the world, you know, yeah. in restaurants. And yeah. he's giving the, the, ha- the hand dryer yeah. an identity. You know, and that was in his creating book from it. And now he goes, he, he goes around to exhibitions and he, and he, you know, like he, um, sells his work, his prints. And yeah, it, out for him, you know, he's doing maybe, three days a week now in the salon, but he's giving his love to his time to the love of his other passions. And I think a lot of people have, have done that, you know, like coming out of, of that moment, I think a lot of people have questioned whether they're in the right space, they're in the right industry, they're in the right career. Um, and I think if you are just too rigid with them, like, no, nope, you have to be here for this many days, you know, the business can't change for you. Yeah, what happens? You end up losing amazing people because of your rigidness. Mm. You know, yes, the earning potential is decreased, but they have earning potential elsewhere. Mm. If I'm confident as a business owner that I can feel if someone's working three days a week, I can find someone else to come in and cover them two days elsewhere. It might, it might not happen overnight, mm. but I'm confident enough to say that the business will be better for it by having happier people that, that work with inside the organization that are doing other loves. I've got team members that are doing nutrition. I've got team members that are doing life coaching. I've got team members that are, are going off and exploring different industries, you know, but at the same time staying with Enna, you know, which I'm really proud of because that's it's- fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that's uh, the challenge a lot of salon owners have mm. is, is, is seeing how they can make it work. and. You have to make it work. I mean, yes, it might create a little bit more of a challenge in terms of putting, you know, staff uh, rosters together, um, but you've got to find a way because at the same time, you'll have salon owners saying to me, how do I attract staff or how do I, you know, keep staff? And the answer is you, you need to approach your business in a different way. You need to offer more flexibility so that you know, in terms of recruitment, people go, wow, do you mean I can get to choose the days and the hours? Yeah, you can. Or, you know, in terms of retention, that they had the opportunity to go off and do other stuff and work part-time in the salon so they can still earn an income. So it's a win-win for everybody, I suppose, is what I'm saying there. Okay. Um, your your business, you know, before we got on the phone, uh, on this call, uh, on Zoom, sorry, um, mm-hmm. I, I was saying that I really wanted to talk a lot about your your team uh, and your team culture, because you have this great culture in there. And, you know, I always make some notes before I I get on the call, just to sort of center myself. And, you know, I wrote down about team culture uh, and, you know, for the listeners, I've been into, you know, your salon multiple times, and you know, know some of your team. Um, And I just wrote down that it's cool. 
and it's laid back and it's professional and there's a strong element of team there and there's a strong element of the client experience. So if if I'm sort of summing up what your business signifies to me, they were the sort of first five or six words that come to mind. So talk to me about how do you create that sort of culture? Because when I go into your salon, I haven't been in for a little while, it just feels good. It feels comfortable. It feels like home. It feels professional, but it also feels like you're in an environment where the people that work there are really passionate and really caring about what they do. So talk to us about how you create that sort of culture. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had, I've re- read a lot of books, been to a lot of seminars, um, you know, and I've taken little gems from everywhere that I've been and everything that I've read. Um, but a lot of it is, it's just creating happy people, you know, and to do that, it takes a lot of investment and a lot of, of energy, you know, like salon owners out there will know, you know, it is, you know, it takes big shoulders, you know, to, to run a business, you know, it's not, it's not an easy process for, you know, I have two young, young children, you know, and I don't mean to be patronizing, but I'm, I'm also in a, in a way a father to 35, you know, the way that I'm looking at them and thinking about what they need and what, what development and what guidance that they need. And so, you know, I do, I do think that, you know, a lot of it is, I keep going back, I always say, and it sounds really crazy when I say it, but our product isn't hair. Our product is people, you know, and the sooner that, that, as soon as that switched in my head, I knew that what needed to happen, you know, and Enna is an amazing place for clients to come because Enna is an amazing place for people to work. Um, and they get support, you know, and, I knew very early on that I was taking, you know, at the beginning of the business, I was trying to be all of the things to them, you know. Um, but as a business owner, it's very uh, exhausting to be all of them things, you know, to um, many people. So there was a tipping point where I knew that I needed to source people that could help. You know, so we, we do do a lot of outsourcing for our um, support to our team. It's not just Pedro, the support to 35s. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Pedro who is uh, finding all of these amazing people that can help support the team. Mm. You know, so can I can't get more detail about yeah, no, who, can, can, what Give we me have. some examples of what sort of people you brought in. Um, I mean, we have... Uh, physiotherapists, we have osteopaths, uh, we have nutritionists, uh, a few nutritionists. Um, we have a variety of, of life coaches. And when I say life coach, a variety, I mean, there's life coaches. Those of you who have experienced life coaches, there is, I do think there's genres of life coaches, you know, some are, are, are more in tune with um, well-being, some are more in tune with business. You know, and there's, there's a, there's a, you know, spectrum of, and there's many of them and we've had many of them, yeah. you know, in our time. Um, and then uh, business coaches such as yourself, 
um, you know, that we bring in and we outsource. Um, and then we have personal trainers and probably the most recent one, the one that came after uh, the end of um, the pandemic was uh, a, a psychotherapist. Um, and I knew the the skills that I have, I'm very sensitive. I'm, you know, like, I think we all become therapists as hairdressers over a certain period of time, um, you know, but to have them skills that um, are needed, you know, with everything that's been happening in the world, I had to put my hands up and say, I need someone who's can come in. And when I know that someone's struggling, you know, with depression, with anxiety, with, you know, dark thoughts, you know, it's too, it, it, I'm not, I'm not equipped to cope with that. So I found someone who has been working with us for the last two years. And what I do with my leadership team is that they have all of these tools available to them. So when Evie's got five people that she's mentoring, she knows that if she's chatting to a certain individual that she's mentoring, that she's got this, this ability to say, oh, you need to see an osteopath. Your back's not right. Or, you know, someone's struggling with their sleep. Maybe it's their diet that needs to be looked at. You know, someone's having, you know, had a really bad traumatic experience. Okay, let's go and see ther- the psychotherapist. You know, like, so it's all that Evie has this, she's not just now, she's, a, she's in a leadership role, but now she has the ability to have all of these tools to be able to facilitate the needs of our people. You know, and I think that's probably the thing that, one of the things that Enna does behind the scenes that no one really sees which mm. creates that you know feeling that you're feeling when you come in family togetherness you know you know the energy that's in there but everyone's being professional because they're cared for they're loved you know and what so the company pay for that yep right yep. okay so the company it's not so much that you bring in i know it's probably a bit of both here it's not mm. so much that you bring in people to do a a talk it's it, it's it's that, and that you'll do one-on-one things where you'll send people to a specialist, whether it's a physiotherapist or a you know chiropractor or whatever it is, dietitian, etc. Yeah, hundred percent. We 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 allocate a budget for yeah. that, and we finance it. You know, and in a way, you know, like people need to be doing this for themselves. However, we all know that that's not the case. <laughs> You know, that we all know that, you know, oh, okay, I know I need to see this person and there'll be an excuse for it. You know, there'll be, oh, I can't afford it or I don't know the right person or whatever that excuse may yeah. be. There are people who are, who are active and will look to kind of support themselves, which is amazing. Mm. However, I think the majority of us struggle with that mm. and we don't ram it down their throats, you know, like it's very much, very soft, you know, like this is available to you when you're ready. If you want me to reach out, I can, I can make this happen for you. And sometimes I have, you know, I've had team members that have said, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm good. And then they get to a point where it's like, yeah, you know, I'm ready for that now. Mm. You know, I need to see someone about this or that or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, so it's, um, it's, I just think it's an amazing tool. And if you can budget for it, instead of budgeting for your, or, um, advertisements for new new employees you know use that money you know to maintain the ones that you have 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's that whole thing about clients, isn't it? It's like we, it's all about the retention, the retention, the retention. Why is that not the same for our team? You know, in 13 years, I've never had a team member leave to work in a local business. Wow. They've, the only time they've ever left would be a change of career or a change of location, as in internationally wanting to live somewhere else. And I can't fix that. Mm. Yeah, Kush can't. Yeah, yeah. I that's, fix that, that desire. Yeah, that's you know, But no one's never gone down the road or a mile away and taken their clientele because they're looked after. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very human, you know, face of your business, as opposed to, because I didn't realize you were going to, that you'd done all those things, but I am aware of the next part of, of culture that I was going to talk about with you. And as you're talking, I'm thinking the bit that I'm sort of big on is this bit here, which is the documenting and the defining and the designing of your culture. So, and when people say, well, what the hell do you mean by that? It's things like mission statements and, mm-hmm. you know, a vision and, and all that sort of stuff. And I know that you've also done an incredible job of doing all that, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the written element designing, yeah. this is what our culture is going to be. But what you've just talked about with having these other resources that you can send people to is very much the sort of, um, the human element of what being a business is all about today. And with those sort of staff retention, you know, numbers that you've just given us, I mean, that sort of speaks for itself. So talk to us a little bit about the things that I just touched on. So, you know, the vision statement, the mission statement, designing your culture, what you've done and why that's important to you and, and, uh, and what that looks like. Because again, when I say what it looks like, I know your brother's an artist and he's helped, you know, put some of that mm-hmm. together, but it's this, it's this holistic approach to what you do. That's what I'm trying to say. It's this holistic approach, which is really something special and it's all part of your brand ethos, isn't it? So over to you. Um, thank you, Anthony. Um, I just, I think it must've been about eight, nine years ago, I, I entered one of your classes and, you know, we, we went through you know, one of your, I think it was a management class and it was all about, you know, mission statement, vision statement and all of these kind of things. And I really went away from it and I was like, don't have that, you know, or what we do have, does it really represent the, the brand and the, and the company? And what I've learned over 13 years is that that changes, you know, like your, this mission statement that we have now was probably the fourth generation of mission statements, you know, because we're we're changing, you know, we're constantly evolving. So those of you who haven't written it recently, I would just encourage you to revisit it. So this is, I mean, Enna's mission statement at the moment, so this is the mission statement to the clients is to make you happy in our home. A passionate team of like-minded people providing a welcoming experience to an uncompromising standard. And then we have a, an employer's promise, you know, on the back of that. I, I think this is something that when I went away from your class, Anthony, I started looking into all big corporations, you know, like what they have, what they don't have, how they structure it. And I think a lot of it was in the hospitality industry, which I thought they had amazing you know, way of delivering. And I think a lot of uh, hotels in New York uh, came up 
you know, like like in the Google search. Yeah, all of this kind of stuff, you know, the Waldorf Astoria, all of this kind of like this idea of like service and delivery and team. And I've done a lot of, you know, research in it. And I mean, the employees promise, I mean, based upon the things that we just spoke about, I hope I'm fulfilling my employees promise. Um, at Ella Salon, our staff is the most important resource in our service commitment to our clients. By applying our values of teamwork, professionalism, family, passion, integrity, generosity, and humility, we nurture and maximize talent to the benefit of each individual and the company. Ella Salon fosters a work environment where diversity is valued, quality of life is enhanced, individual aspirations are fulfilled, and Ella Salon's family is strengthened. Yeah, I love that. See, I think that is fantastic. And a lot of people, they will listen to this and I'll think, well, yeah, I'm only a small salon. I don't need all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, As I always say to them, that's how you become a big salon. If you mm-hmm. want to be a big salon, you have to lay this framework of defining who you are and what you're all about because that's what attracts and keeps people. You know, but I'll get people saying to me, you know, they'll call me up, you know, help, help. You know, I, I can't attract staff or I can't keep staff. And it's sort of like sometimes they want a magic wand and there is no magic wand. It's like, let's go right back to the beginning and look at your business and look at who you are, what you're, what you're aiming to achieve. And, you know, sometimes hairdressers go, you know, mission statement, vision statement. I don't need all that. I'm a hairdresser. But all, all it is, is a vision is, is what do you want to do? That's all it is. What, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to create? Where do you want to be in five years time? That's what a vision statement is. And the mission statement is, and how are you going to do it? You know, and that, and that encapsulates your, your values. And as I always say to people, it's one of those things that you're better to have it than not have it. And because and just, the more you put these pieces in place, the more it defines who you are and what your culture is. So, and, and just by having it, Anthony, it doesn't mean that you don't have this don't have the same struggles that everyone else does. Yeah. I still have struggles finding the right people. You yeah. know, I still have struggles, you know, bringing in enough clients for everyone, you know, to, to eat around the table. You know, they're not, they're, it's like I can sit here and say, oh, look at what I've done. But trust me, just by doing it doesn't suddenly, you yeah. know, lose the struggles that every salon owner has, you know, on a daily basis mm. you know, and the pressures that they, we have. However, what this does, it just, it just brings clarity to me on a daily basis, a reminder of why we're here, what, what I'm doing and the team, you know, it gives them clarity of being a part of something. Because something, a book that I was reading recently, um, called Sapiens, um, it was really interesting. And what I got from it is a really hard read. I mean, my wife was watching me read it when I was on holiday and she was like, and I was reading stuff to her and what I was learning and she was like, nope. I don't want to know. It's, it's too heavy. <laughs> and I was like, but what it told me was the difference between us and, and any other animal on the planet is that we have the ability to tell stories, you know? So by having the ability to tell stories, you know, we can move people, move um, lots of people in the direction or a belief, you know, and that same thing's been happening since probably... I think it started around 200,000 years ago when, you know, Homo sapiens had the ability to, to start using their imagination and tell stories. Prior to that, we were just foraging. 
And when it got to that point, I always, I always like using the analogy where if you had like, you know, 50 chimpanzees, you know, they would be able to say to uh, each other, there's a lion on the ground. Everyone run up in the trees. There's danger, you know, and then there'll be an eagle in the sky. They'll be like, everyone, you know, get down. There's an eagle in the sky. There's danger. So they'll be able to do that. But the difference between them and us is that we could say, oh, you see that lion? If we offer it a sacrifice, our harvest next year will be prosperous. It's just a story. Yeah. If you get enough people believing in that story and it, and it can actually create a movement. And Anna is a story. Oh, yeah, I get it. Okay, that's great. I love that. I love that. And I wonder what you've done with that. That's fantastic. And, and, and we, have an, we have an obligation as leaders mm. to tell stories, you mm. know, that inspire people to move and to do things and be a part of something. Mm. So defining all those things, writing those things down in terms of your culture, your employee promise, your, your mission statement to clients, et cetera, that is all part of the story. It's defining the culture of your people brand. People want to be, feel like they belong to something. Yeah, yeah. Like if they don't feel like they belong mm. to something, they don't have purpose. Yeah. And that when depression, anxiety, all of these things kick in. Yeah. But fundamentally, we've, we've evolved too quickly for our own good. We've gone from the middle of the food chain 200,000 years ago to mm. the top of the food chain. And we still haven't, our minds hasn't had the ability to adapt to that. Hence, we're living in these huge mega cities and global structures that our minds just aren't developed, evolved enough for. And we're all, we're all looking to be foragers still. That's why when we retire, we're up in the country. We're going back what feels like right, you know? Okay. So, Sorry, I'm going off track. Yeah, no, that's okay. So what else do you have in place there? I mean, I've, I've, I've pulled out mission statement and vision statement, employee promise. Anything else that you've got there that you've sort of documented? Because, I, I, I mean, I've seen it, not just mm. talked about it. And, and it looks beautiful and it encapsulates again, your, your whole brand. Um, and that's, you know, I think also what makes it come to life. It's not just words. It's, yeah, it's a feeling. It's a way of being. I mean, the vision, the vision, we, we, we broke it into, um, uh, five sections. <laughs> uh, it was to become, to have, to do, to give and to share. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, I'm not, look, when, when this is, when I read this, it's more about, you know, like what, what my to become is different to your to become, what my to have is different to your to have. So for Edna is to become recognized as a company of forward thinkers who are inspiring innovators and, and, and environmentally aware, mm -hmm. um, to have uncompromising standards within the company to help create a secure and sustainable business to do our best as a company to serve our team and help create a sustainable and secure business of like-minded professionals, to give opportunity and education while nurturing our team, to share our knowledge and experience with clients and colleagues to help achieve growth within our business. Fantastic. Yeah, really good. Good. What, what do you, there's a lot of talk these days, I often talk about them, um, Gen Z. Um, yeah. Now you've got kids that are Gen Z, I've got Gen Z. Uh, children as well. Um, and a lot of people have Gen Z staff members. Um, so what I wanted to ask you about is you've been in business since 2009. 
Mm. Uh, and it's been a fairly tumultuous time, especially the last three or four years. Uh, but what are the changes that you see in Gen Z compared to previous generations in the workforce? Um, great question. Um, I'm, I just remember when I was just started out at Vidasasun, I was 17 years old and I was a teacher by the time I was 18, 19. And my manager at the time was a gentleman called Stephen McKinder. Um, he was in his forties at the time and I just looked at him and I was just like, wow, you know, like he's the same age as my dad, but he's just so much younger than my dad. You know, like he, the way the industry, what it does, you know, I recognized at that point, it keeps you so, uh, engaged with you, Yeah, you know, and I'm forever grateful for that feeling of you know, feeling like I'm staying connected. But recently I'm struggling with it, if I'm honest, you know, I'm on the other side, I'm, I'm 43 years old and I'm starting to feel like I'm on the edge of feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And what I've, what I've come to realize is that, you know, like it is because I'm moving away in generations. And as much as the industry keeps us connected to youth, you are never living in, in their time. You really, really never really truly understand it, how they think and how they operate. Mm. So I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Um, and some of your viewers may be thinking, oh, you know, 43, that's not old. I'm X, you know, but I'm just saying this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling like I'm on the edge mm. of something. And I have to keep reminding myself of, you know, like my value is experience and, and hopefully a little bit of wisdom and, you know, like all of these things that you're bringing to the table. However, I don't like the way I sound sometimes. I don't know if you feel that, Anthony. Like, I feel like I'm, when I speak out loud to my team, I'm like, did I say something wrong? <laughs> you know, was I, was I PC in what I said? Was it, and sometimes I refer back to some of my younger team and I say to them, did I, how was that? Was that all right? And, I need, the, I need the reassurance. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I get that. I'm not sounding like that awareness. <laughs> that awareness in itself mm. and, and uh, acceptance that things are changing and, and uh, what's the word, um, you know, and being prepared to, to evolve and mm. being prepared to change. And I know when we were talking about this, Recently, not on today's call, but a couple of weeks ago, we were having a chat about this and you gave me a really tangible example about that. I don't know if you can remember it, but you, no. were, talking, you were talking about verbiage. You were talking mm. about certain words that you use that you just use habitually when you talk to team members and that either someone pointed out to you or you had a recognition yourself that actually that's maybe not cool to talk like that anymore. Can you remember where we were with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, just, just to be clear on the way that my brain works. Yeah. I always want to be the better version of myself than I was in previous years. I'm always looking at like development, 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 yeah. Yeah. like modernizing the way of my leadership, parenting. Mm. The book I'm reading at the moment is the book you wished your parents had read. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm, I'm always trying to be a better version of myself. Yeah. yeah. And, Recently, 
this has kind of led me into re- the realization is that because I'm maybe not, my verbiage isn't quite on point. Um, maybe I'm feeling a little bit uh, on the edge of, you know, my communications not being current. I do, you know, I, I've looked into race. I've, I've recently read a book called Me and White Supremacy um, by Leila Sayad. And also on the other side of things is more like uh, feminism, you know, so I've, I've recently read a book about women don't owe you pretty um, by Florence Given. And having a, a 13 year old daughter, you know, I just feel like it's, it's relevant. I need to understand what is going on in the generation and not just in age, but also in, with race, um, with gender, all of these things. So a lot of my readings and listenings recently have been more associated with that. You know, like I really want to understand, you know, I want to get my verbiage right. I'm making an, I want to make an effort to understand the struggles of black people. You know, it's called BIPOC. So black people, indigenous people and people of color. You know, I want to understand all of these things more. Um, Yeah, so that's just, I think it's just born out of my curiosity. I've always been curious as I was that child that my mum and dad always tell me, it's like, why? Why is that like that? Why is that like that? And that's just, it's just continued. So so what's a change you've made? What's an example? Um, Where I would maybe, I used to, I I have this thing because I come from like the, Bob Marley, I, li- I just listened to Bob Marley all the time when I was a kid. So I don't know if you've noticed in my emails and sometimes I say one love at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's staying. I haven't really worked that one out, but <laughs> some, sometimes, sometimes I say, uh, love you or, um, thanks, beautiful. Or, you know, I'll use the word beautiful a lot. And, if, and for me, I'm thinking like I'm lifting someone's confidence up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, however, generationally, it may be received like that, but it may not be. Yes. So I'm being more conscious about the way I communicate with, especially, I, w- I would say, um, younger girls. You know, I recently had four 19-year-old girls start as apprenticeship in their apprenticeship. And one thing I've, I've done, which... Uh, which I wanted to stay connected with is I'd be like, what are you listening to? You know, like what artists are you listening to right now? Mm. You know? And this is me, you obviously getting worried about the generational sh- like gap growing, but I'm genuinely curious. Mm. Like, I want to know what that generation musically is into, you know, and I love, I love stuff like that. You know, like I love being curious about, what other people, how other people are thinking. One of my favorite sayings is replace judgment with curiosity. You know, and I, and I, and I've tried to, I try to live by that all the time. You know, like judgment doesn't help benefit anyone. The person being judged doesn't benefit. The person judging doesn't benefit. So no one wins. So all we really should be doing is being curious about how that person thinks and feels and wants to identify as, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's the curiosity of it. You know, like 
how, what, what has it been like, you know, to, to be in that person's skin, you know, throughout their life. And I think curiosity is, is, is for me, is something that I try to, to always focus on. Hmm. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. And I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how different cultures use different terminology. And in the UK, for example, especially in the North of England, a lot of people will call people love. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's three cool. Yes. They'll call them all sorts of things, sweetheart, darling, whatever. And, and what might have been appropriate for one generation is not necessarily appropriate for another. And so there, there has to be a degree of constantly, you know, being curious, as you've just said, and analyzing and thinking about, am I sounding old? Am I sounding out of touch? Does this sound condescending now? Do you know what I mean? Um, and in many cases it does. Um, okay. So look, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with all that, but I, I know that other people will be interested in the business side of your business as well. So I want to uh, diversify into that a little bit. Um, from a, from someone who's been in business since 2009, um, and you know, the, the salon industry all over the world is essentially a small business industry, um, you have a, what is considered a large salon, but I know you used to have pre-COVID up to 50 staff, and now you're down to, I think you said 35, but that's still considered a big business. But I want to ask you this question here about profit margins. What profit margin do you think a salon, in your experience, should realistically achieve? Because I know you don't necessarily teach business, but A, you yeah. are a business owner. Uh, and and B, I know you travel a lot for um, education, um, so you you know you have quite a you know wide range of salon owners that you come into contact with. So so can you put some numbers around that from your experience? Yeah, of course. Um, just to be clear, over the last since two thousand and nine, I've never been over ten percent profit. Never been over, right? Look, yeah. Um, been at nine percent for quite a few years, uh, but fluctuating between four and nine, I would say, for a lot of that time. Where the difference is, how can I say? Because we're so invest invested in people, a lot of the time I'm developing generations. You know, so to have these thirty five that we have now, there's probably like five or six generations within them, as in four or five guys you know, being apprentices at the same time, coming through together, then the next four or five, then the next four or five, and the next four or five. So you've got a generational, um, you know, team. And because of that takes a huge investment, you know, uh, to develop people from within. Mm. Uh, so a lot of our, our profit margin has been affected by that. And then by having people taking them on, straight away and maybe not having enough clients to kind of feed them straight away has a detrimental effect on it all. I wouldn't change any of that, you know, because my philosophy is if everyone's getting, if everyone's feeding their families and there's still enough for us to grow and develop as a business, mm. then I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking for 15, 20% profit margins mm. if it compromises the values and the mission we you know, promised to take Well, no, on those, on those sort of figures, you're, you're sort of above what the average salon is making, whether you're talking 
in the US, UK, Australia, wherever our listeners are, um, you'll pretty consistently hear, you know, numbers about in the middle of what you said, about 5%. Uh, mm. But a lot of salons make no profit at all. A lot of salons are, you know, what is termed a lifestyle business, meaning that, you know, the owner drives a nice car, gets some paid holiday and, and pays himself a decent income. But in terms of there being something left after that, uh, a lot of salons are just break even. So, you know, they're a lifestyle business. So you know, At the moment, I'm forecasting for the next few years to be break even because of all the loans that had to be taken out to survive COVID. COVID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of, there's going to be a l- five years of repayments of yeah. like, large loans just to kind of stay in the game. Yeah. You know, so I would have expected them type of loans to open a second salon. Hmm. Yeah. Not to just survive the first one, but sure. that's the cards that we've been dealt and, and, you know, we're being positive and like I said, everyone's, everyone's feeding their families. So we're good, we're good to go, you know, yeah. and I've just signed another lease extension for 15 years. Oh, so okay. Good. I mean, right. I'm in the building for another 15 years, so I've got no yeah. choice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What, um, I know retail is a big part of your business and you do retail really well. Um, what, what percentage of your total sales are, are coming from retail? Uh, and is that changing, you know, post COVID and more online shopping, et cetera? Are you seeing any, any, uh, change in your, your retail business? Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that, that Enna is very retail focused. I know I've traveled the world, taught hairdressers, some of their, percentage of products to service sales is just like, oh, wow, you know, up in the fifties, I've been like, you know, half of their business is retail. You know, that's not NR. NR is always operating between 10 and 15%. Mm-hmm. And we don't really like have this culture of, of targets in our business, if I'm honest. And mm-hmm. um, we have a very, uh, self-motivating structure, you know, and we understand that everyone is individual. Some of the guys, they, they do a large percentage of the retail on their own because they love it. Mm. And there's the others, we all know them. (laughs) We've all got them in our salons that you can teach them, you can motivate them, you can inspire them, you can try so many different things and they're just never going to be that, that person. And something that I've learned in football coaching for youth you know, my, my son's in the football team is, is to focus on what they're good at, you know, praise, you know, for their efforts, you know, and that same can be applied in, in adult psychology as well. You know, like let's not just focus on what they're not doing. That's all they hear. Let's focus on all the other amazing things that they do um, and celebrate that and then accept the fact that it is where it is. But I don't know what the industry standard is, but it's around 12% are retail sales at the height. But, well, that, that, that would be, um, from my industry awareness, you know, globally, you would be about where they are on average in the Australian market, above where they are in the UK, above where they are in the US, depending on who you talk to. Okay. Obviously you get salons that, um, you know, as you alluded to, some of them are unicorns, literally that will do 50% of their revenue in retail sales. But, uh, you know, traditionally what you hear in the UK is something like six to 8% of total revenue in salons is coming from retail. And in the US, it's a similar figure. 
Uh, whereas for whatever reason in the Australian market, uh, the salon average, you know, retail as a percentage of turnover tends to be higher, more, more about where you are. Um, how important is the retail line you've got? Uh, is Davinos, isn't it? Davinos. Davinos, yes. Um, I know you have a strong relationship with them and the branding of Davinos and the branding of your whole salon in terms of what it looks and feels like all feels very cohesive. You know, there's a real fit there with it's who you are as a brand. They seem to, you know, represent the same values. Um, how important is, is that to, uh, the business? Yeah, I mean, what we find is that when Alalon, the education company, our education company, travels for Davinas and teaches, and you know, we 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 just get sent to like-minded people. You know, like you're 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 all part of a tribe. You know, and, and like-minded people end up gravitating towards each other. You know, so Enna is the flagship for Davinas UK. You know, it is the identity, the two brand identities are, are completely you know, in sync. Um, we, I think the best way of describing it is like, you need to feel proud of the association. Like, it's like you're standing next to your mate and it's like, yeah, this is my mate. You know, and you feel proud to be able to say that's your, that's your best mate. Mm. And I think that should be the thing that you feel when you're choosing someone and not everyone's best mate will be Davinas. It's about understanding who your, what your best mate looks like and what values they have and what they represent, you know, that's important. So we met Davinas about 15 years ago and in the UK, you know, they weren't on the radar at all. You know, London is probably one of the hardest markets to break into. They're in probably about 60, 70 countries at the time, but they didn't really have a footprint here at all. Uh, but we just loved what they stood for, what they represented. And we've just been with them ever since. And they've grown into a very well-respected, um, you know, you know, company that we've always seen it, but now other people are fortunate enough to, to see it more mm. as well. So yesterday I was at their launch of their new academy and head office in, in King's Cross in central London. You know, and it's just, they, they used to work out of an office in our salon on, in the top floor, which was, you know, five meters by five meters, you know, and now there's walked into a building and it's just so impressive. You know, it's just, it represents uh, the company and, you know, it's what they deserve. And now there, there was three people 13 years ago that worked in the office. Now they're up to about 50 people in, in London, just London, a subsidiary of, of the UK. Yeah. So they we're really proud of their growth. They've helped us grow to where we've got, and we've hopefully been a part of helping them grow to where, where they've got as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we start to wrap up, a couple of things I want to ask you about. What, what first one is leadership. Um, what's the most important thing that you've learned? You know, over the last since two thousand and nine, when you opened, uh, as a as a manager, as a leader, if if there was one, you know, I know we opened with something sort of similar to this, but I really want to focus on the leadership side of it. What's the most important thing you've learned 
as a as a salon manager or as an owner? Uh, for me, it's to be present, to be there. You know, like actually creating time to interact with your people. You know, like it's. Uh, I actually get a little bit depressed when I don't. It's really hard one. It's like the the more and more the less contact I have with my people, the more I go into a hole and it's even harder to get out of that hole because you've just like, you know, like you're self-loathing a little bit. Like I haven't contributed. I haven't helped her. But as soon as you jump out of that hole and you start helping people, um, for me, that's, that's the key. It's like just to be present, to listen, to understand, to be curious, to be sensitive, you know, to the team's needs not just work, but all aspects. But there's a line. I've also learned there's a line. You have to be careful how involved that you get. Hence the creation. I think that's probably what helps me move into creating a, a, a team of people to support uh, their needs when they need it because it, it's too much to take on for one person, to take on that many uh, souls to help them in their in their journeys. Yeah, okay. And um, also from a advising other people. So a young person listening to this who's thinking of opening their own salon, mm. what kind of advice would you give them? If there was just one thing that you wanted them to take away. Um, you're never going to be ready. Mm. So just do it. Yeah. Like, there's a point where you just jump, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, like when I look back in 13 years to what I know now, you know, like, but it's also, you know, do it for the right reasons. You know, like uh, people feel like that, that that's the natural stepping stone. Like, yeah. okay, done that. I've achieved success in my, you know, now it, the next step is is to be a salon owner. Yeah. Not for everyone. Yeah. You exactly. know, and, and you'll soon find that out, you know, like if it's not for you, you know, because it's, it's a real shock to the system. And I've known some amazing hairdressers in my life that have jumped to do it and then literally jump straight back in. It's like, no, nope, don't I look at that. You know, that's, ah. um, so yeah, just make sure it's what you want and you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Like it's, you feel like it's the next thing to do. Um, some people will have that awareness to be able to make that choice. Others will struggle with knowing the only way they're going to find out is if they do it. So just do it. Um, Maybe you weren't ready for it. If it didn't work out, maybe you jumped too soon. You know, so it could be something you could revisit in the future. Mm. Um, but yeah, just just make sure it's what you want, really what you want, you know. Yeah. And what, what, what about someone at the other end? So, yeah. you know, a 50-year-old, 55-year-old, whatever, listening to this, um, what what advice would you give to an established salon owner to stay relevant? Uh, just make sure you, you're, the stories that you're telling are inspiring. Mm. So back you to know, the thing about curiosity. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't tell stories that people want to be a part of, yeah. it, it can sound like saying it's, it's a story can be quite in a, a way you're like, you're, you're cheating people, you know, I don't know if like you're, you know, like you're misleading people, but don't see it like that. See it as in you, to, to tell a story is to inspire, to inspire is to give people purpose, you know, so never feel that you're giving, you're doing something wrong by inspiring 
the next generation to be motivated and be present in what they, what they love doing. Yeah. And that's our job. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, what do you wish you were better at? Marketing. Okay. Sorry, I don't give I don't give you any uh, any advance warning on this. Just sort of uh, me, me, me and my business partner Johnny, we've always had it. We've, we've been fortunately born born into a education background. Mm. Like education, you know, some salons don't have that, and they're they're great at the marketing side or the you know developing people to be busy stylist side. You know, like where education was always, you know, a given for us. So I wish I was better at the the marketing side of the bigger business because I feel like even though I think I'm quite good at telling stories to motivate my team, hmm. I'm not very good at telling stories to the world about what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and some people are, you know, incredible at telling you know, and marketing themselves, their business, their people, you know. So we are, you know, like we're, we're, we're it's a, and is it, and then Alan are amazing. I just wish more people saw it. Mm. And that comes down to potentially, you know, us. You know, so, for example, yeah. Alan at the moment, you know, through the, what happened with the, the pandemic. Alalon has diversified in that moment and, and, and it's gone digital, you know? So we have like a subscription business and a digital business. So our education was a hundred percent physical previously, you know, and now it's kind of coming to the digital world and what we've produced, I think is incredible. However, when not enough people see it, does that really matter how good it is? You know, like you want it to be seen by many and sure. experienced. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing education tool that the industry, we believe, will benefit from. But yeah. it's just, so we're not very good at telling us our stories to the outside world. So I wish I was better at that, marketing ourselves. Okay. Okay. Well, whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Um, yeah. So Alalon, Alalon Education is. How do you, Alalon. how do you spell that one? Cause I know. Alalon. Yeah. You know, um, my dyslexic side has to kind of look at it. So it's A-L-L-I-L-O-N. So Alilon. So Alalon is ancient Greek for uh, the idea of sharing one to another. And Enna is modern Greek for one, as in my Bob Marley statement. Enna is. E-N-A. E-N-A. And that's modern Greek for one. And that's again, it doesn't mean one. It means one love, one team, one dream. Okay, cool. When I, when I speak, you speak. So they're both, even though they're two separate entities, the owners are the same, myself and Johnny, my best friend and business partner. He, he's more, his attention is more in the education business and, um, I'm more salon focused, but we overlap, you know, right. he's Alon supporting the leadership team. I'm doing shows and seminars for Alon. So we overlap, but our, our priorities are on the individual business. 
Right. Okay. Well, look, I'll put those links uh, on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com and in the show notes for today's podcast. So if you listen to this podcast with Pedro and enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Pedro, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. It's been amazing, Anthony. You're one of all them people that we talk about. You're one of them people that support me and the team in doing everything we're doing. So forever grateful to you. Thank you. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. It's been good talking to you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.